Hello, North Texas sports fans. Welcome to Sports Day Insider from the Dallas Morning News. It's your weekly update on all things Cowboys, Rangers, Mavericks, Stars. Should I go on? I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Evan Grant. And I'm David Moore. We break down the calls, the playmakers, and all the inside scoop right here every Tuesday. And you can stay up to date on every Sports Day Insider episode and other great shows. Just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate the Dallas Morning News feed. It really does make a difference. Guys, can we get the show started? Let's do it. Here we go, sports fans. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. And we were joined at SoFi Stadium for yes, the, we were. the weekend. What did you think of that uh, architectural you know, marvel? Kind of. I, I uh, on my newsletter, I said it looked like something the aliens left us. <laughs> you know, it is really spectacular when you when you come up on it. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, Jerry World's great. But uh, just from a, a purely aesthetic, uh, architectural viewpoint, uh, SoFi Stadium's got it beat. Yeah, uh, it's the most interesting NFL stadium, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of on the level of some of the Olympic uh, stadiums I've yeah. been to, you know, the Bird's Nest in Beijing. That's why I just like said that. NFL, yeah. I think there's some others, mm-hmm. you know, internationally that are that – are, as interesting or more interesting, but but for the for the U.S., it, it's it's different than what you see in uh, every other NFL stadium. Yes, it is uh, a little different from the old Cotton Bowl. Um, <laughs> so it, it's a, it was nice. I, I enjoyed it. it. You know, it wouldn't work here though. You got to have air conditioning. You know, uh, yeah. You know, we don't we don't open our windows in Texas unless the teenagers are crawling out of them. That's the that's the only reason. <laughs> so it's a it, it works great out there in L.A. though, where it's where the weather's very nice. Uh, speaking of being on the road, Evan Grant's in New York. Uh, Evan, how's it going? Um, great. I just was waiting for you to get through with the uh, humble brag of, oh, it compares to many of the Olympic stadiums that I've been to. Uh, <laughs> Evan, I'm, I'm sorry I'm using my perspective on things to render a, a, an informed opinion about stuff. Unlike you, who just you, you just sit in your living room and, fire off about things that you don't know anything about. I, I think you've got our jobs mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually, the approach, the approach is flipped. From, is that what you're saying? I think for the, uh, for the uninformed at home, the columnist, I, I believe that's part of the job description of a general sports columnist, sit in your living room and fire off opinions. <laughs> You know, New York is New York is great though. We've walked uh, twenty some odd miles in the first three days. It was wonderful. That, I don't think that sounds like a good deal for you, Evan. We walked was, twenty miles. It was great. We walked um, we walked all along the Hudson River, all the way up to Little Island, which I have somehow decided to call Tiny Island. It's a really pretty little architectural um, masterpiece, just sit, jutting out there in the Hudson now. And uh, then we biked back. That's right, I biked through New York City, right along the Hudson, like uh, some urban hipster. Um, you uh, packed your bikes on this trip? No. You brought we, your we bike just, from home? We rented the uh, the always affordable city bikes in the city. Oh, nice. Um, and then let's see, we, uh, we went through Chinatown, we uh, walked through the Feast of San Gennaro and had cannolis, 
Um, we walked through Washington Square. Then on Sunday, we went to Brooklyn and walked through Prospect Park and um, Greenwood Cemetery uh, there. So, And let, let me get this straight. So, so when your backup, Joe Hoyt, goes on the road, he goes to Cleveland and Detroit. And then when, but when you're back on the beat, it's like, hey, I'll, hey, I'll, hey, knock aside, Joe. I'm taking New York, pal. Pretty much. What's the point you know? of having Joe Hoyt, Joe Hoyt in his first year if you don't do that to him? Says <laughs> the guy who looks at, hey, uh, can I get on that New York City cowboy strip? <laughs> Tim Callishaw graciously steps aside to allow me to go to New York uh, almost every year. I would not say graciously. <laughs> he steps aside, but in some of our conversations, I don't see the, I don't sense there's much grace in that. Oh no, Tim! Tim's a heck of a guy. He does that. He, when he, he mentions your he mentions your middle name a lot when he talks about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, man! Hey, oh, man. Start, your middle name starts with an F or something? No, no, no. That's an M. It's, it's Miles. You know, I thought about going by. Uh, I wish I had uh, dropped the Kevin. Oh, that'd be much Miles. cooler. You ought to go by cooler, Miles rather than Kevin. Miles Sherrington. Oh, absolutely. That would have been oh, great. Yes. You know, I might do that. What do you think? Uh, do it now. You'll fool the public. Yeah. I'm only I'm only 44 years into my career. Maybe <laughs> maybe now's the time to uh, to try something like that. That'd be great. Shake it up a bit. Yeah, it needs a little bit of that. Speaking of shaking it up a little bit, the Cowboys shook it up uh, over the weekend uh, against the Chargers out at SoFi Stadium. Um, I'm not convinced that uh, that we that we know a whole lot about the Cowboys yet. But, you know, as 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 people like to say, uh, as Clarence Hill likes to say, a win's a win. Uh, So what the heck? Right, David? I'm not sure why you would cite Clarence Hill on anything, but well, sure. I, let's, I was let's, making my point by citing <laughs> Clarence Hill. Well, yeah. Again, so you know it's a strong point when that happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, exactly. Uh, no, I, I think, look. If Especially two, for a profound point like that. <laughs> a win is a win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's about the best Clarence can do. Well, that is profound for Clarence. Yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah, d- declaring any sweeping – uh, assertions about how this season is going to unfold and, uh, it, you know, making any declarations about how this team is different than it has been in recent years after two games is not something anyone should do. Having said that, I think there are some encouraging signs for the Cowboys to come out of these two games. Uh, that and, and there are indications that this team is certainly different than last year and, and really the year before that as well, in that um, well, one was just the uncharacteristic nature of this win. Uh, you know, they went 20 to 17, uh, drive 49 yards for the, for the game winning field goal as time expires. Uh, that was the first time Dallas has won a game when it scored less than 30 points in you have to go back to the 2018 season they had gone 34 games and every time they were held to under 30 points they lost so that that stretches over four seasons uh you know and it just underscores how one-dimensional this team had become that uh they couldn't expect anything from their defense everything had to be won in a shootout 
Um, that game wasn't a shootout. In fact, also, I think the way the game unfolded from an offensive standpoint is uh, a little bit encouraging as well to show they could win different sort of games because Dallas came out, had 14 points in the first quarter. They didn't score a touchdown the rest of the game. Um, they only had three possessions in the second half. And yet, by and large, they led most of the game and came back. And, and I thought they really controlled the tempo. So that you had not seen Dallas win that sort of game in quite a while. And coming off of the Tampa Bay game, where they had a chance to win and, and took the defending Super Bowl champions down to the wire, um, I, I think it's a, about as good of – I think it's a better start than you would have expected from this team given the questions you had about Dak Prescott coming off the injury, uh, you know, how long it would take, how long it would take for this defense to take hold. And then you had a key defensive loss going into the game on Demarcus Lawrence before you ever got to the game. And Randy Gregory, your other starting defensive end, um, you know, was on the COVID list. And your starting safety, Donovan Wilson, wasn't able to play. So I, I think this team has more depth defensively. Um, more creativity defensively. Micah Parsons has made a big difference. And uh, I I think you've seen that in the first two games where now you actually get the sense this Dallas team can win games in different ways. And you have to do that in the NFL. All right. I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here as I I did. And it is only two games. I I say all this prefacing it's two games and to make sweeping assertions is irresponsible. Absolutely. Uh, That's what we do. Sure. But I'm going to say what Brandon Staley said. And by the way, Brandon Staley, for those who don't know, is the coach of the Chargers, uh, not just some guy who wandered into the building. Uh, he he said after the game uh, against the Cowboys that, uh, you know, uh, we, we made a lot of mistakes, uh, a lot of errors out here, a lot of penalties, 12 penalties, 99 yards. Uh, we were on course for 500 yards and maybe twice as many points as we put up because they had two touchdowns wiped off the boards. They missed a – they clanged a field goal off the left upright. Uh, and through so, an interception in the red zone where they would have. In the red zone. Yeah. Uh, so in there the were, end zone, actually. Yeah. Yes, into the end zone. Uh, on, when the receiver fell down, and that really wasn't even Justin Herbert's uh, fault. I would say this, uh, you know, and, and I've seen Justin Herbert play, but seeing him play in person, uh, he's quite a talent. What an uh, arm. My it, gosh, some of those passes. He he was a game. He was so impressive, I thought. Then you looked at his final line, and you just kind of shrugged, and he went, you know, from what we saw, this line doesn't match up because this is a special guy. He really is. He's big. He's fast. Uh, and he, he really seems to get it. You know, I, I to me, he looks like what everyone thinks that Trevor Lawrence is going to be uh, right now. Yeah. Very, very similar kind of talent. So he's – He's going to be uh, he's going to be a spectacular player for the Chargers, and I think that's one of the reasons why everybody was feeling like this was such a big win. The Chargers really, otherwise, aren't so great. Keenan Allen's a really nice wide receiver. They, they've got a they got a pretty nice offense. Joey Bosa is obviously a terrific defensive end. I mean, they, they've got some things you know going for them, obviously. But uh, this is you know this is a team still kind of on, trying to find its way back too. You know, they were seven and nine last year, so. Uh, I, I do think that the Cowboys showed some things. I think a lot of the things that we learned about the Cowboys after two games is what we learned mostly after the Tampa Bay game. We, we, we've seen that Dak Prescott is ready to go. That was, you know, he, he came out against the, the Bucks and was just terrific. I thought he played very well uh, against the Chargers as well. 
they gave him a pretty clean pocket. You know, we talked about the defensive replacements. Terrence Steele did a terrific job. An outstanding job. For Lyle Collins. Uh, Joey Bosa was a non-factor uh, out there. So uh, I think that, uh, yeah, there were some really good signs. I also thought, though, on defense, there were occasions where where guys were just running free in the secondary, and you, you'd see safeties you know, galloping across the field trying to get in camera range uh, of, of some of the receivers that were wide open on these plays. Anthony Brown, to me, is still a disaster at the other corner. Trayvon Diggs is doing a great job, an unbelievable interception to, to stop one drive, I guess the Chargers' first drive. Uh, so there were some very good things to come from this, and the best news for the Cowboys is now they come back and play three games at home, play against uh, Philadelphia on Monday night, uh, get Carolina, and then get the Giants. That's a pretty nice way to kind of round into uh, the possibility that by the time they play New England, they should be 4-1. and one. All right. Well, I'm going to, um, uh, on the judging of these arguments, I'm going to award the win to David, mostly because Kevin said, I'm going to play devil's advocate. And then by the end of it, he was like, Oh, some good signs for the Cowboys. So they're going to be four and one. Hey, this is, this is not, this is not around the horn. Okay. We're we're not playing around the horn here. Uh, If it was, thankfully we would have a silence button on you. Now we just have to worry about your microphone over modulating. Um, But I I think from the 30,000 foot view, you had to get a win. That was uh, we talked about this last week. That that was all that mattered was getting a win out of here, um, and and they did that on the road. And they are set up to go into the to go into the off week, you know, with a with a winning record at the very least. And 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 I think right now it's about it's about getting wins and getting up to speed. You worry about playing really good football the second half of the season. These are all things that can be addressed as they go along. I, I thought that. Save for for some of the clock management in the two minute drill, I thought that the way Dak executed that was was really good, and and you know I, I think it was kind of a relief for everybody that Zerloin hit that 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 field goal because there had been some concern about what was going on with the kicking position. So I mean I I I, I think that they're by far not a perfect team, but I think to come out of these two games one and one after opening the season on the road with two fairly with a Super Bowl champ and, and a team that was expected to be fairly good this year, I, I think is is a good sign. Yeah, they can't lose fact can't lose sight, Kevin, of the of the issues that they've got. But I think you've got to you've got to look at this and say that for the Cowboys this has been it's been a good a, a good start to the to the year. They played the yeah. they played the Bucks well and they, they won the game they needed to win. Yeah, one one win's not a panacea, but also factor in everything that happened going into the game. You lose right tackle Lyle Collins for five games with the suspension. You lose starting receiver Michael Gallup for three to five weeks with a calf strain. You lose Demarcus Lawrence with a broken foot in practice after you already installed the defensive game plan, and he's going to be out six to eight weeks. Uh, you have Randy Gregory, the other starting defensive end on the COVID list. You have Donovan Wilson with a, a groin pull, and, and he winds up missing the game. Uh, you know, things were starting to stack up that that created an aura of, oh, here we go again. Is this going to be last season repeating itself? And I think from a mental standpoint, it was crucial to go out there, 
stop that to show this is going to be a different season. And again, you know, they picked up their first road win last year. I think it was at the end of October. Uh, they got their first road win now. So they're, you know, that that's a significant goal as well. And you had three home games, as Kevin pointed out. So they they position themselves the way they needed to because I don't think anyone think they had a shot to beat Tampa Bay going into the season and they actually gave themselves a shot to win that uh, so really the best case scenario for them was to be one and one going into this three-game home stretch and uh, they've done that and they can feel I think pretty good about where they are as a team and what they can become and what's been the single I think Kevin addressed this that that Dak has been probably the single biggest upside but I'd love for the two of you guys to speak to the situation at running back and, and what Pollard has kind of shown them the first two weeks. Yeah. Well, Go ahead, I mean, Kevin. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, this has been an issue for me for now for a couple of years. Uh, and I, I wrote about last year about uh, uh, Zeke's problems and the fact that he has uh, the, the 20-yard or more burst had just basically disappeared from his game. Uh, he, you know, when he first came into the league, he did a lot of that. Uh, he could, you know, that was the great thing about Zeke. He, he was the complete back, a good receiver, a great blocker, powerful runner, and a guy who could break a long run for you. He was, that's why he was the fourth pick of the draft because he could do all of those things for you. And he did that. Uh, what Zeke looks like to me now is a guy who is just like all running backs, uh, just wearing down. Uh, he's still, uh, very effective. He's still very powerful, uh, but he's more of a kind of a hunt and peck kind of guy now back there. He's a little slow to read to me. Uh, he's, he's always been considered a very patient runner, and that's fine until you lose your burst. Uh, and when you've lost your burst, you can't afford to be patient anymore. Uh, what I One of the things I love about uh, watching Tony Pollard run is that he is uh, not only obviously quicker and faster than Zeke is at this point, he, he runs with more conviction as well. Uh, he's just a back that's got a lot of things going for him. And it'll be interesting to see how they play out uh, this, this situation for the rest of the season. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, I think you know, even in this last game, it was, um, you saw the two-to-one ratio, really, in, in the time they were on the field. I, I think that's what they're striving for, two-to-one. Yeah. Uh, um, we talked about this before that the biggest thing this team can do to get Elliot back into the game and for him to be close to the factor he was earlier in his career is to play with a lead during the game and in the fourth quarter, turn it over to him and let him, let him run and, and wear down defenses. And you saw a little bit of that in that game, I believe. Um, but, but I will say this, I, I thought this there was a run in the third quarter where uh, boy, the back just hit up there and went and I was going, Wow, that Tony Pollard really is quick at hitting the hole. And I looked down, and it was Elliot. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so it's kind of flipped in that regard a little bit. And I started laughing, but I think you do see a little bit more quickness with uh, Elliot. Uh, I think it's going to be a two to one ratio. I think I like Tony Pollard a lot. In a lot of ways, I think Tony Pollard's still a luxury in that when he's going like he was in that game, keep getting it to him. But there are going to be games where he just runs into the wall, and and Elliot gives you a chance to break the wall that Tony Pollard does not. So uh, with that speed and decisiveness that Tony Pollard does have, I still think there are certain games and defenses they will face, 
and periods of games where you'll see the ball in Elliott's hands because that's what they need. Well, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with running two backs. No, I mean, not at all. You should. That's what the, yeah. that's what the NFL does now. Sure. You know, everyone thinks you got to have a, a, a one guy. You can have a one and one A. There's nothing. There's no problem with that at all, and they and they probably should. And I tell you what, it's great. I, Elliot really sets up a lot of pound, pound, pound. Okay, let's sneak in Pollard real quick, and then Pollard takes off and runs the same play, and he'll get 15 yards right away because the defense was conditioned to stopping Elliot. You know, so I mean. Uh, he, he does help Pollard. He sets the table for Pollard in a lot of ways, I think. Yes, he does. Uh, so we'll, we'll see where the Cowboys go from here against the Eagles. The Eagles struggled, uh, last week, scored only 11 points after a nice opener. I think we're, we're seeing what they're probably going to be able to do offensively. I I don't expect them to be much of a challenge. I, I don't think the, frankly, that the Eagles can, can keep pace with the Cowboys. So, We'll see how that goes on Monday night, uh, and we'll be able to talk about that next week. Uh, right now, we're going to talk about the uh, the Rangers uh, in, in New York, as Evan pointed out, and uh, uh, they are playing some old friends up there, uh, several of them, Evan. Who, who's all the uh, ex-Rangers that are up there playing for those Yankees? H- hang on. Wait a minute. The Rangers are in New York? Yeah. Oh man, I need to get on that. <laughs> um, well, let's see. Who are they playing? They're playing Joey Gallo, and who else are they playing? It really doesn't matter because Ruggie Odor doesn't play anymore. You know, is Ruggie not? Is it Ruggie not in the lineup anymore? Oh, they moved. They moved. I don't know. Let's see. You over to second base? That's right. You asked me a question. Do you want to answer it or should I? Well, I know that my answer is going to be A, more succinct, and probably a, B, more accurate. But other than that, go right ahead. All right. Well, Ruggie's not playing anymore. And really, I mean, does Joely Rodriguez matter? He was he was here for a year. Um, wow. Did you ever say that to Joely when he was here? Hey, you don't you matter. matter. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of my way, pal. You don't matter. Excuse me. Do you matter? Yeah. Wow. So, uh, well, uh, Evan Grant has decided that people don't matter. Let's, let's let's focus on Joey here, shall we? Um, <laughs> Go right ahead, because of all those other people who don't matter. I, I spoke to Joey yesterday um, in a small little media gathering of uh, Texas media who was here, um, and and really the most notable thing is uh, that Joey cried. Um, I, I don't know any other way to say it. You know, he. he he got emotional talking uh, about leaving the Rangers and, and talking about the adjustment to New York. And he certainly said all the things about liking being in New York and playing for a playoff um, spot. But it, it was clear to me that that the the Rangers remained very, very dear to his heart and that, that he wanted to stay in Texas. And that raises a whole bunch of other questions. Um, I don't think the Rangers have any second thoughts, nor should they at this point in time about that deal. Uh, the Yankees might, but I don't, I don't think the Rangers do. Um, and, and it just leads me to wonder, you know, in two years when Joey is a free agent after 2022, uh, is he going to actually seek trying to come back to the Rangers and what position will the club be in at that point in time? So, uh, so looking at this situation with Joey, and you and I discussed this pretty extensively, um, 
first of all, I want to say that of all the places Joey could have gone, uh, New York is the worst. And and I, I think we probably knew that was going to be the case. We we saw what happened to Kenny Rogers when he left the Rangers and went to New York. Uh, or I, I can't remember if he went directly from the Rangers to New York. But anyway, uh, and and it was and, and Kenny's not Kenny's not the only one. I mean, others have have, have been in that situation. Sonny Gray was another one that I cited. Well, there's there's hundreds of, of right. players who who go to New York, and it's the worst place in the world for them to go. Joey's just one of them. You know, Joe, Joey's a very introspective kind of a guy, and uh, um, you know, for better or worse, and and sometimes for worse. And 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 if you're that kind of player, I think it's very difficult for you in a place like New York, where there's so much going on on the outside and uh, people beating on you so much. So. Um, uh, I, I feel bad for him. I, I feel bad for that. This is how it's turned out. Cause now, now all the critics heat up and say, see, this is who Joey was all along. Uh, I, I don't think that's true. I do think that if Joey gets in the right place and if, uh, if the shifts disappear in baseball, I think Joey will be a star. Uh, and, uh, and I, and I hope that for him, I'll say this. I don't think it's ever going to happen with the Rangers again. I think that the, that the Rangers have their own, Joey Gallo starter kid and DJ Peters. He's a lot cheaper. He's younger. Uh, and it's, and I think their feeling is why not we just in, invest in this guy and see what he can do. And and we'll just let Joey go his way. Yeah. I, I'm not so sure I'm as, as convicted in DJ Peters as, as you are. I think we'll, we'll get a better idea on, on DJ Peters next year. Um, I, I, I think, listen, the, the, the thing about Joey Gallo is is this, and, and I'm not going to get into the shifts and all that other stuff. I, I think the overwhelming question on whether or not Joey ever becomes a star is if he can stop swinging and missing in the zone. The guy's got really good strike zone discipline. Um, that, that picture has emerged over the last two years. But what continues to befuddle both the – did befuddle the Rangers – Andy Fuddles, the Yankees, is how often his swing misses pitches in the zone that he should, as most normal hitters should, crush those balls. And I don't know if that's a product of his swing staying simply on one plane um, and that there's not a whole lot of adjustability to his swing, but I think that that the numbers really do speak loudly about that, that this is a guy who for six years now has continued to refine his strike zone, but he hasn't been able to adjust to really make significant strides on the overwhelming issue, which is you can't miss pitches in the middle of the play. And, and, and Joey has done that for some reason. So um, I, I think the market's going to determine a lot of stuff, but I certainly wouldn't rule out the possibility of, of Joey wanting to come back to the Rangers in two years. And, and let's face facts. If, if, if he's, even if he's a player, he is. If he's not your centerpiece, um, he offers you some value. He runs well. He plays really good defense, and he can get hot like he's been the last two weeks in in New York and and roll off five or six home runs in a ten day span. Yeah, I just don't know that the Rangers want to revisit that though. I mean, I, I and I listen. I was as big a Joey fan as anybody because of all the things you said. I realize the drawbacks. I I see the things that he also gives you it's not a guy you want to pay $30 million a year to not a guy you want to pay 25 or even 20. I don't think, no. uh, but, but the, but he, he can be a very good player. I, I'm not saying that DJ Peters is going to be the next Joey Gallo, 
I'm saying that if you're gonna if you're gonna take a chance on a guy with big power, runs well, great athlete, plays defense really well, I'll just soon take my chance with this guy who's younger and cheaper. So at, at that point, that that's why you know the, I think that this is probably uh, that ship has sailed on Joey, and and I and I wish him all the best. He's a he's a great guy, and uh, and I, I'm sorry that this fan base couldn't embrace him more i'm sorry that this fan base felt like oh see that you know as my my good friend the veterinarian would always say ah you know he's he's just uh you know another one of those swing and miss guys you know it's just it's unfortunate that he he wasn't uh liked more than he was because he certainly liked it here as we said it sounds like you just gave our epitaph on this podcast as well for all three of us like we're not really nice guys though like joey is (laughs) no we we don't have that yeah, well, and we don't, and we don't have this outstanding talent, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of coalescing around us either. So. Yeah, but we swing and miss a lot. Yes, we do that. <laughs> yes, that's how we're very similar. Uh, we've also got some uh, college football games coming up uh, this weekend. We've, you know, had the usual raft of, of terrible non-conference games last weekend, and I'm not going to draw any conclusions from any of that. Uh, but we have some big games coming up. Uh, we have one out of Jerry World. We have uh, Arkansas and A&M. I think going into the season, we would have thought that that game might have been, you know, okay because Sam Pittman did a really good job last year of turning around the Razorbacks. Uh, they went from being just a doormat under Chad Morris, who is now the coach at Allen High School, uh, to a, a team that was pretty competitive. Uh, and then they started out this year, and they, they've been more than competitive. They're, they're a top-20 team now. Uh, they uh, did a really good job against Texas, really just stuffed Texas on both sides. They, they, they ran the ball down their throats, and then they kept Texas from running the ball. Uh, so that was a really impressive win for Arkansas. And they're playing an A&M team that uh, lost Haynes King at starting quarterback and was replaced by Zach Calzada, who, who played very well against New Mexico. Calzada's got a big-time arm. That's one of the things that uh, they were kind of counting on with him all along. Uh, he's, he's thrown too many interceptions so far this season. But, you know, he, he kind of got thrown into the fire there uh, and still uh, ended up battling and coming back pretty well. I, I think the ceiling's pretty high with that guy, as a matter of fact. And this is a, quite a year for that to be the case because uh, as we look around college football, uh, Alabama looks good, obviously, as always, and Georgia looks very good, and Clemson has, has fought back, uh, and uh, Florida did a great job against Alabama. Uh, but – we don't see a dominant team out there with a dominant player. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that gives other programs like Oklahoma, uh, like Texas A&M, some hope that if they can get hot here t- toward the, uh, the end of the season, uh, and certainly A&M plays a very tough schedule uh, starting this week, uh, they've got a really tough three-game stretch that includes Alabama, uh, then – Maybe they can make that run for the college football playoff. And what what have you thought of Oklahoma early in this season, though? They they don't seem to be at, at the level they've been the last couple of years, at least early. Well, they're the same thing as everybody else. Uh, you know, yeah. What what you counted on from Oklahoma is their quarterback and their offense, right? That you know their defense has been always suspect, and it's still a little suspect this year. Uh, it has its moments where it's played better. But, you know, every year they've had an all-world quarterback. 
uh, you know, from, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield to Kyler Murray to uh, Jalen Hurts. These were all guys who, who played really great and who are all playing the NFL now, all starting quarterbacks in the NFL, which that's really phenomenal. Let's think about that for a second. Three straight, yeah. When's the last time that you've had three quarterbacks in a row, two of them, you know, uh, top players in the draft? Uh, so that that's that's an unbelievable procession of quarterbacks. So now Spencer Rattler comes in after that, and, and, and people have tried to kind of cast him as a Patrick Mahomes starter kit. Uh, I, I don't see that yet. You know, Patrick Mahomes was carrying Texas Tech. I mean, there were he was he was putting up fifty five points, and they were losing. You know, they uh, he he was everything to Texas Tech. You just saw unbe- an unbelievable skill set there. He, he, there was no question about any of that to me. But uh, I, and I don't see that with Spencer Rattler. I mean, he he can make some really nice throws. Got a nice arm. Can also make some curious throws as well. Uh, he's still got a lot of growth to do. That doesn't mean that he can't do that because if you're going to be in the hands of any coach who can deliver that kind of quarterback, it's Lincoln Riley. He's proven that. Uh, Lincoln's very similar to Cliff Kingsbury in being a quarterback whisperer, a kind of guy who not only sees the talent but is able to develop the talent. So if anybody can get that out of Spencer Rattler, Riley can do that. And and maybe this is a year where you don't have to have that killer defense that you've always lacked. Maybe if you could get your offense up to the level where it's been before, and that's what Lincoln thinks. He thinks they're very close to being that kind of offense again. Maybe that would be enough this time. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time that the OU-Texas game was not the biggest football game in the state of Texas, the biggest college football game in the state of Texas that particular weekend? Well, you know, there are times when it hasn't been a great game because one or the other is not any good. When was it not the, the most important game in the state of Texas for the weekend that it was played? It's always well, been. Well, I don't know. You know, it's it's what it is. Evan is an event. It's right. not the you know the the thing about Texas OU is you don't really even care how good they are. At least I don't. You know, what's so great about it? It's just an event. It's the uh, it's the marquee game at the state fair. The you know the the site, the venue. Everything about it is what makes it great, you know, and then you get out there, you know, in the field and it's half and half and you don't get that in any other stadiums anymore. And, uh, and, and that's what makes it great as well. It's just, you know, it's, it's always, it's always noise. There's always something going on. It's just a tremendous atmosphere. So I'll always love it because of that. Uh, but you know, is, is Texas a match for Oklahoma this this year? No, I, I just don't. You know, there have been upsets at, at Texas OU, and that's one of the things that makes it great as well because of the emotion that that game has played with has made that a possibility. I just don't see it at all this year. You know, uh, they, Texas that, is really, that's all well and with. That's all well and good, Mr. Whitman. But what I was bringing up was the fact that <laughs> Alabama is visiting A&M on the same day. And providing that A&M gets by Arkansas this weekend um, – that shapes up as the champ, the, the the SEC West Championship game right there. Um, and I, you know, I thought Alabama looked beatable on the road last week at, at Florida, uh, and and were perhaps a, a failed two point conversion away from being beaten. Um, so I, 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 my point being here that uh, 
I, I just wonder how much of the spotlight is going to actually be on A&M versus Alabama that week versus uh, as opposed to Texas OU. Plenty, but, but I won't be there. I'll be I'll be out at the state fair eating a corn dog, pal. Well, I, that, that that's all. It's always about corn dogs with you. Well, sure. Uh, no, it's, it's obviously a big game uh, between Alabama and AM. I, I really think, for me, uh, that's going to be a really obviously. It's, it's a tough game for anybody. Listen, I don't, I don't knock Alabama too much for going down to Florida, which is an unbelievably tough place to play and uh, to play against a, a really good Florida team and, and beat them. That's a good win for Alabama. Uh, you know, I think they do have some some issues going forward, but. It would be really good for A&M if Calzada had a few more games under his belt as a starter before he had to play Alabama. This is a bad yeah, the time. The quarterback situation there is not that. No, it's, it's, it's it not takes ideal. some of the edge off that game for that. Yeah, you're, you're trying to break in a quarterback. I mean, Alabama's breaking in a quarterback too, Bryce Young, but he's he's been pretty good, and they don't have to ride him. You know, A&M's going to have to ride Calzada a little bit. So it's going to be a really tough game for them. But you're right. That's a that's a, a big game with national implications. It's going to be two top six, top seven teams playing each other. So Well, and that's providing that A&M gets past Arkansas this week. And, then, you know, Arkansas could really kind of upend a whole lot of things. They could. Uh, that's what we like about uh, college football. That's what we like about everything. Upending. And speaking of upended, we've been upended. We're done uh, for this week. Uh, be sure to check back with us next week. We'll be fresh off the Cowboys game against the Eagles, and we'll be able to give you all the updates on that and what that means and whether they are actually on their way to the Super Bowl, as two-thirds of the panel here has predicted. So <laughs> from everybody in here to everybody out there, have a good one. See ya. Well, that wraps up another episode of Sports Day Insider. Is it over already? Well, Evan, all good things come to an end, I suppose. The show is produced by Jeff Whittington. And presented by the Dallas Morning News. Our theme song is by Dallas's own John Dufalo. Don't forget to follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your quality podcasts. You'll never miss a Sports Day Insider episode, and you'll discover some other great shows. And if you liked what you heard... Please rate the Dallas Morning News feed and give us a review. It helps us reach other sports fans and news junkies. Learn more about this show and other shows at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find special Dallas Morning News subscription rates just for listeners. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you back here next week.